Lord, we just thank you for this evening, for this opportunity to meet and uh, to look into uh, this topic, Lord, of uh, prayer. Uh, often just assumed and overlooked, possibly, and just, just thank you for Michael's uh, interest and passion here, and we pray that your your passion and your words would, would flow through him tonight, Lord, and tell us what we need to know regarding what you want us to know regarding prayer. We just commit this time to you in Yeshua's name. So um, I know there's a lot you could talk about um, when it comes to prayer and intercession, and I feel like there is and kind of like diving into something and barely scratching the surface in a sense because there's so much you can talk about when it comes to prayer. And, I mean, um, we could even just delve into certain prayers that are – because prayer is obviously – it's something that's important in the Bible, but it's also important from a, a, a Judaism background in terms of understanding that what we pray and how we pray, a lot of it has a very deep and rich and meaningful um, history that we look back at. And some of the prayers that we pray in our service, even, they go back many, many years. I mean, more than thousands of years and so I mean we can look at different things when it comes to prayer and it's kind of hard to know exactly where I was going to go with this and um, so so I hope you're if, if you've heard some of this before I'm great that's great and maybe there's some of this you've never heard of before but um, the word prayer as it stands occurs very many times in the Bible and it's not just prayer but we also can include the plural, the prayers, and the, all the different forms of pray, from praying, prayed, praise, all those type of <clears throat> things. When you start to count them all up, how many times the Bible talks about prayer and praying and all that other things, it's over 300 times. And, and, and that's not a lot in one sense. And it is in another sense. I mean, there are a lot more things. I mean, God's name occurs a lot more in Scripture than praying. But it's still, it's something that we can look at throughout the Scriptures is, is both from the Tanakh and the Torah and specifically in the New Testament. And I feel like sometimes we may have one particular view that we look at things and maybe don't understand the rest. And it's important, I think, that to get started understanding why why is prayer such an important part of who we are as a messianic community and one of the reasons for that is it's one of the four pillars one of the four pillars that defined the messianic community and i want us to read acts chapter 2 and verse 42 cuz that tells us the four pillars those were the four things the early congregation, the early Messianic community was doing. And, and it's to give you an idea, a flavor of why they felt that prayer was one of those four pillars. Does somebody have it? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Don't be shy. I can pick on people, though. Okay. 242? Yes. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay. So it says prayers in yours. We also have the breaking of bread. And we have fellowship. And the teaching of the apostles. Is that what's considered emissaries? Yes, they are the emissaries. It's the idea that they were sent out. The sent out ambassadors. The ambassadors, the... The, the idea of maybe what we, we would consider maybe a, a, a modern day, today we would look at maybe someone who's a missionary. They're kind of sent forth with um, authority to give, to give forth information. And so those were the four things, the prayer, the apostles' teaching, and the, the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And probably the one, one thing, we always seem to have all, all four of those, in our meetings, someone will stand up and give us a teaching, someone will pray, someone will, sometimes we break bread, and we always have the fellowship. And each of those four are important. They're important tenets, and, and in many ways when we get together, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We're always doing these things. We're always doing, or some form of them, some form of them. I mean, we've included worship in that, and that's part of prayers as well. Because worship kind of goes together with prayer, like peas and carrots. They kind of just stick together. And they're very much interchangeable at times in the Bible when you see them. And people came together to, to do those kinds of things at the beginning. And so it's important to get a, a, a basic understanding of what prayer is about. And I like to think of it as we have God's Word. And ultimately, God's word is to speak to us, right? And I hope we get something out of it. When we read the Bible, we hear things, we learn things, and hopefully it gets into us. And that's the way that God talks to us, is he talks to us through his word. But the way we talk to God is through prayer. And so both of these are forms of communication in which we, we are able to have connection back and forth. We pray to the Lord, and He hears us. Amen. And we also listen to God's Word, we hear it, we read it, and that's how God goes back to us, how He speaks to us. And so it's important to understand why prayer is important. Prayer can be something that we can sometimes observe and look at in the wrong way. And I want to address that first, and maybe you've heard this before, because it's important that when we come to pray, that we have an idea of what we're going to say. We're going to say certain things to the Lord, and we're going to, and, and we had a bunch of them here on the board before some of us got here, and others that were here earlier before prayer, they saw them up on the board, and those were the things we were going to pray. And so, part of the picture is, we don't want to ever get to the point of having a vain repetition or getting the idea of looking at prayer of being, in a sense, like magic. 
or incantation. Now, does anybody know what I mean by magic or incantation? I think I have an idea. Go of ahead. What you're saying. Um, so, just the magic of the magic part. Um, I've been a part of um, churches that use prayer as a like it's a for sure thing of what they are praying will come to pass no matter no matter what so the, the Lord's sovereignty is not even a thing for them but they'll just it's kind of like um, they will use it as they will use prayer as a way of kind of like saying that this thing will be happening okay so you're saying they tend to look at the it being only having a positive result yeah, the result they're wanting, yes. Or, okay, uh, maybe you, you're even going further, maybe a selfish result. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, magic is, is kind of different in the sense they kind of say the right words, and by the saying of the right words, sometimes they're expecting a result, a oh. certain result. By those words. And it, for example, just to keep it simple, you say abracadabra, or you might say open sesame, and the thing is supposed to come out the way it works. And a lot of times, whether we know it or not, sometimes we look at prayer in terms of that way. I said prayer ten times, God owes me now. Michael, did you know abracadabra is Hebrew? No. It's from... From bara and okay. bara, so I, so I create just as ka, I speak. That's what it means. It's from bara and kare, the the uh, like the thing. Wow, Hebrew facts. How about that? How about that? <laughs> That's exactly what you said. I what I say is what I is what I what I make. They're all they're all first person. What I do, I do. Exactly, and the idea there is even if we don't use it that way. We're still looking with a selfish result, is that what I've done, if I say this prayer four times, or I say it seven, and maybe you even have had those letters, those chain letters, if you send this letter ten times, or if you do this 17 times, or 300 times, or 10,000 times, you're guaranteed to get what you want. Has anybody heard anything like that before? Or gotten a letter like that in the mail? Definite success will occur. And a lot of times we can approach prayer that way in terms of this is what I want to get instead of looking at it in terms of this is a relationship of I'm connecting with God and I'm communicating with Him. It's not the type of thing that I want to get, you know, A plus B equals C. Therefore, I should always get C. And even, the, even in that sense, there are times, even within the church, where we have taken this formula, if we use this formula in our prayers, we're, we will get this result. Has anybody ever heard something like that? This type of prayer, if it's said, will get this type of result. And that's what we always want to guard against, because... Prayer is supposed to be a relationship that changes you, 
and that grows you and stretches you. It's not to be something that where you come to God and you look like you're going to manipulate God. Or God's a glorified waiter. God's a glorified waiter. And so there are a couple examples, and I wanted to look at specifically um, Acts chapter 19 and verses 13 to 17. Because that's an example of where we see a misuse of both prayer and a misuse of how the Lord's name is used, specifically. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 to 17. And Tristan, you have your Bible. I do. I was getting distracted by something you said. 16 and 17. 13? 13. 13 to 17. 13. 13. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 to 17. There you go. I'm just inverting them. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one... Uh, Seva? Skeva or Skeva? Okay. A Jewish chief priest doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them, and all the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Okay, so what happened with these guys, these seven sons of Sceva? We have a, uh, an example of someone trying to cast out a spirit, an evil spirit, right? And, you, you, and this is kind of interesting because a lot of people look at Yeshua in his day thinking he cast out spirits. And this was a, 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 a just a Yeshua-type thing. But there were other people in Yeshua's day, or in the first century, that were also casting out spirits. We have another example. And they decided to go and try Yeshua as well, to try the name Yeshua. And has, has anybody ever come across of someone who said, it really matters how you say his name? Whether you say it as that Jesus is, you may have even heard this, that Jesus is no good here. And that's not what we're saying here by any means. When we say Jesus or when we say Yeshua, we're not saying that this is the only name. God isn't limited to names. It's just important that people understand that. God isn't limited to what kind of name we choose to use for him. But we are trying to make a community, and we're trying to also be sensitive to people who are in our midst who are Jewish, in which Jesus is a derogatory or connotates bad memories. And so we're not allergic to Jesus, but it's important at times that we understand why we say Yeshua here at Yeshua Tzion, and we don't say Jesus. But I'm just trying to say, here in this particular sector, 
circumstances. And throughout my mess time as being in messianic circles, people have come and said, unless you say Yeshua, it really doesn't count. Your salvation doesn't really count. Did you did you have a comment here? Okay. So a, a, a lot of times people will tell you this. We had someone that was here in our own congregation, and they said, unless you say it like this, Yahshua, it's really not, it's really, you're saying it the wrong way. You're really saying, and the bottom line is God is not limited to, to what you call him. He can still operate. But the point of this story is they didn't understand the authority and they didn't understand the connection of being with that name that they were saying, these seven sons of Sceva. And it's just an important place. They were looking, in a sense, to use this as a magical phrase, as a magical, to bring out a certain result. They said, Paul is getting results using the name Yeshua. Let's try Yeshua ourselves and see if we get the same results. This is that same idea of the formula or the incantation of bringing about something to, to, to bear. Does that make sense to everybody? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things we want to guard against. God is not limited to names. He's not limited to names. But we, here at Yeshua we're trying to do something different. We're trying to be a Messianic community and make it Messianic friendly. The second point that's important to talk about is what prayer is really about. It's the outpouring of what's in your heart. What's in your heart, what you want to bring, the outpouring of your spirit, your, the outpouring of what's in your soul, that's what needs to be at, at what comes forth in your prayers. And there are three things that typically we like to talk about within that. There's adoration. And you have this in your notes. There's petition. And the last one is thanksgiving. Hopefully that's some the three things when you look back at the Jewish prayers, a lot of times what people were even praying in the Bible, they had these three Aspects They might have had some type of adoration, and that comes forth a lot of times through praise, praise, and worship. And I'm just abbreviating. That sometimes came out through praise and worship. And then the petitions were the different needs, the needs that you bring to the Lord. And then lastly, the thanksgiving, it's always about God, what God is doing or what he's given you. And who he is. Why do we thank God for who he is and what he does? Or what he's given us? Why is that important? Because we can recognize that he's the source, the source of everything. Okay. It's a recognition of the source. Where everything comes from. It's very, And that's why... You know, when we come to prayer here at Yishuatim, we always say, what has God been doing? What is, what is something you can praise him for? What is something he did this week in your life? What is he bringing about change for you? 
What is maybe some aspect of his character that showed up for you? Was he faithful? Was he your provider? Was he your protector this week? What was it that God did, who he was, that maybe did something in the aspect of that? So that's kind of the basic thing. Now this next one, specifically talking about community, is a huge part of what prayer should be about. Because within Jewish prayers, and with even in the Lord's Prayer, what is the emphasis on? Acknowledging who God is. It is acknowledging who God is, but throughout the prayer, it's always these two terms. We have our and us. So, it's not who he is to me, Mary. It's sometimes who he is to everyone here. And part of prayer that we want to always get beyond is to see that prayer was always collective. Very collective setting. In the Jewish mindset of prayer, coming to come together in prayer was something that was first the idea of the Jews. That they all came together to pray. They came together to pray for needs. Even the idea of a minion. Do you guys know what a minion was? Jorge, do you? Can you? Uh, this is your prayer. You need ten, three, ten, ten men, ten males, in order to start it. Okay. So it was, a, it was a requirement that there had to be ten, and it comes. Do you know where it comes from? Which story in the Bible? Sodom and Gomorrah. If there had been ten men to show up and pray for the salvation of the city. That's that's where a lot of times they, they sometimes talk about the need for a minion. That Sodom and Gomorrah didn't even have a minion of people to save it. And part of the reason, part of the reason we have to understand this idea of the corporate mindset of prayer is we have a corporate need for several things of who we are. And they're on your paper, but they're also, I want to go over them specifically. Salvation. Salvation, first and foremost, it's a corporate idea. It's something that's hard to see sometimes because we understand salvation in our country today as a very personal, very um, me and, my, and the forgiveness of my sins. And, and there's a definite true aspect of that. God forgives our sins, and it is very personal to us. But salvation was always with the understanding it was a corporate thing. The salvation in Egypt, did God save one person from their sins? No. He saved the whole country of people. When Yeshua came and died for everybody, was it for one person? It was for everyone corporately. And that's part of who Yeshua is and part of the need to see that. And if salvation and outreach is going to take place within a community, you have to have that necessary group of people understanding that that has to happen because of prayer. That has to happen. Other people have to have salvation. And that goes into the next point of reconciliation. Everybody has to come to that idea of reconciliation. Atonement is something that takes place 
in the Bible, when it's looked at, it is both individual and corporate. The, the, the sins, the, the things, the forgiveness that's extended and the atonement that comes forth during Yom Kippur, it's a corporate idea that Israel's sins are forgiven, that the priests, all of them collectively, are forgiven. And so it's important that we learn to see both a community understanding of these things, salvation and the idea of reconciliation. They come about corporately. The only way people come to the Lord is if there's a group of people praying for them to be reconciled, to come back. And I'm not saying that one person can't pray for an individual. That's important. But that's why we have a big part of our heart at Yeshua Tzion is that continual need of praying together, praying for others. It's all about the body and what the body needs. And we had a list of things that we were praying for tonight that were specific people that we had in mind, people within the body that were specifically hurting. So, Michael, then it shouldn't be, so then if we pray alone for someone, is that considered that it's selfish? No. It's not, that it's, it's not that that's selfish, but I'm just saying the idea of coming together in prayer was always an idea that was Jewish. And it was all, And I'm not saying that prayer, God can't do good things when we pray individually or personally in that way. But what it has to be the understanding of is that God wanted to do it in a corporate setting. It was always established in a corporate setting that people came together to pray. People came together to pray. So if, what happens if, you know, people don't want to pray with you? you know, they don't want to participate or come together. Let's pray and they go, I don't feel in the spirit. I want to just walk away. Well, a lot of people say that. Different people, that's something that God needs to challenge people on. Because prayer is the idea of coming together. It, it is the idea of coming together. And that's the idea of where unity, the third point on here, takes place. It's something that happens, and it's how we learn to grow up in the Lord, is when we're all together, and we learn to pray for each other, and we learn to grow through our prayers together. That's part of our growth. That's part of our maturity. That's where our faith gets stretched, in a sense. Are you thinking of a certain a certain scripture when you no, say no, that? No, I saying, but all this, oh, you know, he said, uh, meet me, or, you know, go to the other side, or, you know, I'll, I'll meet you there, or, you know, but he did go privately to pray, pray to his father. Um, he did at times go pray privately, but overall, even during his hour of temptation, he wanted the others to come and, and pray with him. 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 And, you know, I don't know if they had had four cups of wine at their Seder, or if, which would make one sleepy, of course, or if it was the type of thing that it was just a late hour of the evening and they had worked that day. But Yeshua, even during his um, greatest hour, his greatest need, he still wanted them to come and to pray with him. And so overall, I'm just saying the idea of prayer has always been in the corporate aspect of God wanting to draw people together and use people together. 
Does that does that seem to answer your question okay. or? But why is it so much that somebody they say, "Well, you pray for me," or you know, how do you approach that when you want to pray for someone? It's just you approaching the person who is asking. Well, and that's kind of you know, I'm just saying it might be different when you go somewhere like in a different community. In our United States and and within the world, we look at I think a lot of people have different comfort levels of what they're willing to let people in on. And that's just something that happens over time. Sometimes people aren't comfortable letting people do things for them. There's a self-conscious, am I saying the right words? Am I looking, should I look them in the eye? Should I close my eyes? Should I bow my head? I mean, there's a self-consciousness, I think, at times that has to get beyond that. We sometimes have to get beyond those things. And, you know, or, you know, it's sometimes with people, they might be focused on the wrong thing. That guy, if they're blind and his eyes look all white and stuff, you know, or whatever they might be. People have their issues of what keeps them from being focused and being able to pray. And, and that kind of brings us into the fourth point, kind of as well, is prayer is, is to be a personal communication. It's supposed to be something that we see, that we're to be awed by that we can have access to the Lord, that we can come into his presence and see him at work in, in, in our life. And that through that, we'll grow and we have the, the idea of praying that we have, when we pray that we have hope. I mean, sometimes people are at a point of hopelessness that they can't reach out and see beyond their own needs, their own needs. And, that, and that's kind of where that personal touch sometimes has to come in and really touch people in such a way that they understand that God, some of us don't even know, is God really hearing our prayers? That we that there are some people that aren't confident of that, that God really hears us. I mean, it is, it does kind of seem, for someone who's brand new believer or someone who's never looked at prayer with much thought, they may have a tendency to look and say, how do we know that God really does hear us? How would you how would you tell someone that? How would you say, I know that God hears me when I pray? It has to do with trust. It has to do with trust. That's definitely part of it. In Revelation it says that uh, he holds our prayers in the golden bowls. Okay. That he treasures them that much, but I'm looking for where it is to the camp. Okay. He them so much that he holds them in golden bowls by his throne. Okay. Let's look at the scripture I have written here in 1 John. Because this also tells us that we know that God hears our prayers. 1 John. And chapter 4, and verses 14 and 15. I'll read it. Okay. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Yeshua is Ben Elohim, God abides in him, and he abides in God. I'm wondering if that was the right verse. First John four 
14 and 15? 15, yeah. Five. I'm sorry, it is five. Four five. and five. I'm sorry. Five. Four and five. First John four verses four and five. I have the wrong. Okay. <laughs> you are from God, children, and you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are from the world, so they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. That, that doesn't sound right either. <laughs> it has to do with we have this confidence. We have this confidence that God hears our prayers. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. So what, is, what does that mean in plain English to you? Not just that, but I think God also has a great desire to hear from us continually, over and over again. He's the type of guy that's that's not like the husband who's like, this person is just an act. It's not that type of thing with God. God has more interest in hearing us again and again and again. Because through him hearing us and we hearing him, we have a, a, a confidence, we have God's assurance that he's listening to what we are are saying to him. It's kind of a relationship type thing in which the more you pray, the more confident you are that your prayers are being heard by the Lord. But at the same time, the more you pray, the more you want to pray. If something takes place in you, that growth and that maturity, that it becomes so much more personal that God, the creator of heaven and earth, who created everything, has an interest in me. And I want to seek him, and I want to spend time with him. Because spending time with him is ultimately what changes us. What changes us, what brings things about. What And, and many times, the thing about prayer that's really interesting is I'm the one who's changed, not, not someone else. I'm the one that's changed through the prayer. And that's what God many times wants to do is get a hold of the person who's praying and change something in their life just as much as the person you're bringing or the people that you're bringing to the Lord. And it's a place of where God gives you victory, where you know that God is hearing you and that God is going to hear you. It's an important aspect of our prayer life is being sure God, you heard me, you answered me, you did this for me. I have confidence to come again now and again. And it's something that takes place. It's not something that a lot of times is going to happen immediately because we're in the immediate type of world where we're used to things happening instantaneously. One of the important things, too, we want to do in the midst of prayer is learn to listen for God. Learn to listen for God. I mean, it's, it, is, it is a part of what we communicate to him, but it's also a time where God wants to talk to us in the stillness and in the quiet. And at many times, just being quiet and learning to listen and hear what God's saying, God will sometimes speak to you. 
Has anyone ever had that happen? When they've been praying and then they just feel quiet and they feel a peace washing over them and then God says something to you. Has anyone ever had that happen to them? All the time. Just how I live my life. All the time. All the time. That's how you live your life. Okay. So it's, it's, I just want to encourage us that listening is a big aspect too of how we learn to walk with the Lord and have this type of relationship with Him. That things become more personal. Now, one of the things that I've learned to do, and a lot of people appreciate this, is learning how to pray biblically. Is learning what does the Bible have to say about this subject? What does the Bible like have to say maybe about money? For example, you know, the shekels. Or what does the Bible have to say about faith? Or healing? And when you know what the Bible has to say about many of these different things, a lot of times the Lord will teach you how to pray for people. Maybe money is not the clear thing that is what God wants them to have. And I like to pray like from Acts chapter 3. The man went up, he wanted money, right? But God had something else in mind, right? What did God end up doing to the man who came seeking money? He heals him. He gave him his not his sight, but his legs, for he was able to walk. And he went leaping and walking and praising God. And sometimes in the midst of our need for money, God may have another healing or another touching that he wants to do. Same with faith. Same with faith. Maybe somebody's having a tough time of it because God wants to increase their faith. God wants to grow and stretch their faith. And he the bigger issue for him is not that they need to believe that they're going to get out of the bad circumstance, but they need to learn to trust God through the bad circumstance. Same thing with healing. Why doesn't God heal everyone? Why? Sometimes that when we hurt ourselves or when we get hurt or we have something, God ha- does that in order to get the gospel out. It kind of seems an upside way of going about things, an upside down way. But sometimes God knows if we go to the doctor, this doctor who's maybe never heard the gospel has a good chance he might hear the gospel. Or maybe that we're supposed to be praying for this doctor. Because God wants us to do that. Now it's not to say that we can't pray for healing. Or we can't pray that our needs would be met. Or that we can't pray that we wouldn't grow in faith. But each of these situations sometimes. God sometimes has something better he wants to do. And when I pray for healing. I also pray that the Lord would raise the person up. To be more strongly connected with the body. That God wants our people at times to not just be healed, to be healed, because that's a great thing, but our own body sometimes has needs. And if this person was really healed, sometimes they'd be more engaged 
into God's program. And so one of the things I pray is when one part of the body hurts, the whole body suffers, right? And so that's a spiritual truth as well as a physical truth. When your body is hurting, whether it's your back or your knee, it's hard for your whole body to get around. And that's the same principle spiritually. When one person is hurting, a lot of times that person can't fully engage in everything that the corporate community needs. And so sometimes that healing needs to come about because the body here needs that person. The body wants to see that person raised up so they'll be more integrated, more committed, more faithful. And God sometimes wants to do that through the body hurting. Is that we'll learn to trust each other. We'll learn to bear each other's burdens and help each other. And God does good things in the midst of our hurts if we let him. If we let him. One of the things that's been heavy on my mind right now is something that's happened among our young people. We have both the youth that have been struggling. We have certain sections of our youth. And we've also had an older, the older generation that have been struggling here at Yeshua Tzion. And I'm not going to go into names. But part of what God has shown me is Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. Does anybody know what Malachi 4, 6 says? And read it. Art? I, uh, I don't have it. Uh, okay. We have someone else read it if you don't have it. Okay. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land. And so part of my understanding, we, we always look at this scripture and think this is the end times. Elijah coming back and God's going smite to the, smite the place, you know, going to bring total destruction. And part of, we, we miss the other part that's here. God will change the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the fathers back to the children. And part of what I see with the youth sometimes is God is getting a hold of a number of parents and making them care more deeply about their young people. That's part of what God wants to do. That's part of God's good work. And on the other hand, with the older generation, he's taking the children and saying, I need to learn that my older parents need me just as much, just as much. I'm not going to get to everything here that's on your list but I want you to understand that God really cares about how we pray. And I, like I said, I'm just tipping the iceberg here in terms of what all that means. There's so much more we can go into, but I thought the part that God really wanted me to stick on was the community, is learning how important a community of prayers are, and for us to learn how personally committed God is for us to know him deeper through prayer. Because it's really, really important for us to grow in the knowledge and understanding of that. And I'm not saying that some of these others aren't important as well. But I'm just trying to say, I mean, knowing how powerful God is, that's a huge thing. 
of why we want to pray and reminding ourselves of his promises because we need to know his promises and we need to grow deeper and stronger through them. And, and knowing how to pray a, a scripture and understanding what God's trying to tell us through different... But we all have to look and see that, you know, it's a daily duty for all of us to come and to pray. It's important that we become more intentional, especially as it gets later, as we sense God's urgency of coming forth in these latter days. So, I don't know if there are any questions anybody had, or... um, I mean, obviously, the, some of those things about being persistent are important. You know, we learn through our pers- perseverance and being persistent. And that's something God wants us to do. And so I just, I like I said, I'm running out of time, so I just want to be sure that if someone has a question, they have a chance to ask it. Yes, it does. By no means am I saying that, Mary, that if you pray individually or you pray by yourself, it doesn't count. I'm just saying that we grow and we're stretched. And prayer was always understood around and through a community. I'm I'm not saying that God doesn't work in individual prayers. By no means. That's not true. But God really does his better work when we all come to pray. In the Shabbat school class? No, not with ours. But, um, but anyway, saying to the children, what do you do when you're alone and you're frightened? You know, that prayer is not a corporate prayer. That's an individual prayer seeking help and protection from the Lord. So that is important. I will definitely give you that. That is important. But I knew more comfort when I went and got my parent and said, will you, I'm scared. I'm scared. Will you... Will you pray for me or will you comfort me? And my parent told me, God is watching over you. Let's pray. Yeah, but if that's, it's, it's, it's an isolated situation. You have to give the individuals to know that they have a communication with God. Yes, they do. They but reach out to God. And I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not minimizing one over the other. I'm just saying that it's always been under the understanding prayer goes deeper. Prayer is more strongly enforced as we do it together. Michael, can I read uh, Romans 8, 26? Sure. Um, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And I had that specifically under the fact that God's Spirit will give us sometimes words when we don't have them. Because that's the scripture many times we need to know how to pray in a certain situation. And so we want our prayers to be effective, but we also want our prayers to be um, biblical. Because it's important to understand 
why we pray and how we pray. Art, would you close for us in prayer? Certainly. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the teaching of Michael. Open our hearts and our minds to what you want to have us learn. We ask that you go with us as we go out of here. And we thank you. 